Roll for initiative. Welcome to the Honor Roll Podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your RPG. Tabletop, LARP, mush, and everything in between. We're not better gamers than you, we just all have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun at your game, because the only way to win at a role-playing game is to have fun! fun. I'm Ryan, the curmudgeon, and joining me, as always, is the legend, Carrie. It's a me! And Jason, the favorite. I'm also the one who got a new hat recently. It's not a Mario hat, though. No, it's not. not. You, you know, all of my new hats are by people who are like, that hat looks like garbage. Here, wear this one instead. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. really just two or three people who keep doing it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll win them in prize, like, raffles and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if anybody has a hat they want Jason to wear... If it's appropriate and doesn't make me feel weird inside, I will wear it. Wow. Now that sounds like a challenge. That does sound like a challenge. Well, it's, I'm trying I mean, to figure out what a, kind of hat would make you feel weird inside. Well, I don't want to wear tits on a hat or something. Well, that's yeah, no, that's that's dumb. Right? We, we appreciate that you don't want to wear yeah. yeah. I get to approve all hats that are sent to Jason, <gasps> but... Mm, I also have to approve them because well, no, our sense of humor are close, right, but they're a little but, different But sometimes. I'm not going to make you wear a boob hat. No, no. You know, so... This, this is why you're the kind of guy that wears boob hats. Uh, <laughs> I would never wear a boob hat. That's because you're a big enough boob on your I own. Would, <laughs> I would... I would sit at home and think about boob hats, but I would never wear one. Right. All right, let's talk about our Patreon. We have a Patreon. Just one patron. At patreon.com slash podcast and... Yeah. It is basically a place where you can go and offer to give just a few dollars to help keep this show on the air and mm-hmm. going. It helps pay for equipment and hostings and all and that stuff. Hats. And yeah. boob hats. And we're saving up one day to get a mixing board. That's right. And so, more importantly, to get a hamburger. And people who back us on Patreon get free stuff, like a shout-out on the show. Ah! Who, who gets a shout-out this week, Carrie? Um, Joel does. Joel. Joel Eastland. Hello, Joel Eastland. Hello. <laughs> what in the world? Just because I know that y'all are friends with Joel, and that's why y'all always do something particularly weird for him, and <laughs> I appreciate it. We don't do anything weird for Ryan Martin because we're not friends with him, though. Oh, but I like Ryan. Hey, look, but you're not his friend. He's my I, favorite Ryan. Jace, Jason just said the only one we're friends with is Joel. Oh. I mean, he's your old school friend. Ryan's my friend. Did, Joel, did you he likes me better than old. any of y'all. That, I don't know. You don't ever say he's your favorite. Well, I don't play favorites. I'm am the favorites. <sighs> we also have Joe Hines with Lost Colonies LARP. Yeah, Lost Colonies. If you live in the Virginia, Washington D.C. area, you should go check that out. Yes, or definitely. else. Or Whoa, else. okay, no, we're not threatening people. We just want you guys. Or else you miss out. Okay, there we go. That's better. What about Noah? Well, Noah has been on vacation this week. He has been. Okay. He's been in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, he's visited the Union Oyster House, for example, where he, he had some drinks before dinner, and then when he was finished, uh, he had this amazing food. It was this giant lobster. Like he posted a- pictures of that. Oh, okay. He did. Yeah. Okay, also- okay. Real quickly, for everyone else that's listening, we promise we're not actually stalking everyone that's our Patreon. Just Noah. Just Noah. Noah. He also uh, went to the Downton Abbey uh, Museum. Exhibit, and I, that was. I didn't know. know there was a Downton Abbey museum exhibit. Yeah, apparently Ooh. so. That sounds cool. Yeah. So there. So uh, there. That's also, what it's about. Him. He also saw Chuck Norris. Like, 
for real? Well, as real as a wax museum gets. Oh, okay. Yeah, then he visited the New England Aquarium and, of course, stopped at Mike's Pastry, uh, you know, following his friend Mark's advice. Was Mark right? Was Mark right? It would Noah? seem so. Hmm. Okay. So yeah. if I go to Boston, I go to this pastry Because place. Mark said so. Okay. And then he topped it all off with a 10,000 Maniacs concert. Oh, well. So it was okay. pretty good. Yeah. yeah, it works. Anybody else? How come we never bottom things off? What? Well, you top what? things off. So you should... Maybe you bottom things and then you build up to topping it. How come you're never just whelmed? You're always overwhelmed or underwhelmed. It's okay, true. Robin. I'm just saying. You're just saying. Did you know that centaurs have two rib cages? Well, I do think about it light at night a lot. Does that mean they have four lungs? Hmm. How do they hold their heads up when they're babies? I don't know. Hmm. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for supporting us. Well, if you'd like a shout out, we'd love to give you one. And you can get it by going to patreon.com slash podcast and becoming a patron of the show. So when last we left our intrepid adventurers, <laughs> we were sitting here at this table recording a podcast. And now we're back again. Carrie, what you been up to? I feel like I've been sitting for a week. Yeah? Yeah. You've been arting a lot, haven't you? No, I have been arting a lot. I'm working on the Snowhaven cover. Yeah? How's so, that coming along? It's coming. It's coming. Almost there? I I'm I don't know if it's almost there, but I've definitely got paint on the canvas. So it's due before this episode comes out, right? I don't know. <laughs> Pretty soon. Literally, literally when we're done recording this, I'm going out to the studio to paint more. <laughs> Good. You should have airbrushed it on the side of a van. Oh my god! I think gosh. that would have been okay, really maybe. sweet. Maybe. Um, can you airbrush? I, I, I can learn. No, well, that's fair. Yeah. What about you, Jason? What have you been up to? Uh, well, you know, uh, mostly just work stuff. I've been watching the boys. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, they y'all finished it, and I haven't yet. Yep. So I'm on episode six. Spoiler so alert! Three to go. Spoiler alert: The heroes aren't so much. Ah! I want to say that so far my favorite part is the fact that uh, the oh, crap, what's his the character's name that has the worst accent of all time? Frenchie? Uh, no, no. Frenchie is pretty bad. Butchers is worse. But that's his real accent. That cannot possibly be a real accent. It is. He's yeah. New Zealand. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I thought he was doing like someone who thought Irish and Scottish. Were the same? I don't know. But isn't they, that, they just thought that's what they were doing or but something. But isn't that New Zealand? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've been told that New Zealand is like the Australian accent, but less evil. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. That, that was what a New Zealander said. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right. Uh, no, the Boys is super good. Yep. Everyone should go watch it. His yeah. face looks less like a knuckle in this than in other things he does. What the? What the is guy who plays Butcher. And he's wonderful. You need to. Shut I didn't your say mouth. he wasn't wonderful. I said his face looks like a knuckle. And he's a handsome knuckle. So you shut your mouth. <laughs> Do you like his beard in this? Yeah. It looks like it was put on with a sharpie. I'm okay with that. <laughs> he's like. He is one of the best parts of the show, isn't he? Oh, it's, it's also it's a, they're all Frenchie's good too. Though. So good. Yeah. They're all the best parts of the show. Right. Right. If you can handle the the boys, because it's got Ooh. a ton of. Okay, it's violent. Every content you do, that is triggering it's, is yeah, in there. Yeah, just assume that there's lots of... It's very aggressive in a what? lot of different ways. It's very adult. It's very, very adult. So, so what's up with Ryan? <laughs> well, uh, I'm continuing to do the developer diary blog about, mm-hmm. the, you know, how we came about to make the gum belt. Yeah, yeah. I was reading the table... What do, you, what do you call it? Tables and... Table of content? 
Tables, tables and Contents. Tables and Contents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. So you can find that at honorrollpodcast.com. And, uh, and so that's pretty cool. And I'm also, I also played Fantasy Flight Games Star Wars system for the first time. Is that the one with the weird dice? Yes, and it has weird dice. Now, I know you hate weird dice. I, I, you know, it's not weird dice that I hate. It is unnecessarily complicated dice that I dislike. Now, I know you also don't care for gradients of success. Is that the right term? Yeah, uh, because I feel like a lot of times they are, uh, they feel like, hammered into the system like uh they they force the storyteller to have to come up with you know a slight success or a slight not success or they or the same thing with like the players to have to come up with slight success things or slight disadvantages or whatever and i just feel like it's not necessary to have all that minutiae i feel like can't we just collaborate and tell a story together and the dice can just decide if we made it or not. Is why why my, do we even need preference. rules is what I'm saying. Right? Can't we just paper, rock, scissors, everything? No, 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 no rules whatsoever. <laughs> um, but I had a great time. The Crow, the guy who sto- who was the storyteller for it, uh, there was nine people playing the game, which is a huge table. It yes. is. And, and he was great. He, you said he even split up the party, right? He did. He split the party up and had you know, five of us in one place and four in the other. He just went back and forth and it was very cinematic and, and fast paced. And, um, uh, yeah, I was really impressed with how well he managed a table that size. Cause I could not. What I want to say is the best compliment I've ever heard somebody give a, uh, what do you, not storyteller, but whatever that is yeah. for star Wars. A, and, anyway, a, 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 a table game, runner, a game yeah. runner yeah. Game runner. is when you said when it wasn't my turn, I was engaged because I still it was, wanted to hear what was going on. Right, because it was that good. I, yeah. was, I was super engaged. And I'm not even, and, and I don't take this as a knock, I'm not even sure it was that uh, the story was that good. It was that he was that engaging. All right, well, there's you know, a difference. His, there is pres- a difference. his presentation was stellar. Okay. But that's everything, isn't it? It's a lot of it, yeah. I mean, if, if what he was telling sucked... That might be difficult to overcome. So I'm not saying that his... I'm saying the stories were fine. But, like, his presentation was just out of this world. I'm just thinking, there's a lot of movies out there that have terrible plots, but (laughs) that are great. Because of presentation? Because of presentation. Yeah. There are other movies that, like The Lion King, the new new one, that actually loses it because of presentation. Presentation is there. It's so much. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. We should do a podcast on why those lions weren't anatomically correct. That's so weird for you to be focusing on. It's 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 distracting. Okay. All right. Let's go to combat rounds. Welcome to Combat Rounds. <laughs> Today we are joined uh, by a very special guest. We are joined by Maury Elizabeth Brown. Yay! Uh, she is with Learn LARP, which is a company that produces New World Magiscola, amongst other large blockbuster, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> blockbuster. Blockbuster. <laughs> uh, it's, but uh, they make lots of uh, live action role playing experiences. That look awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, welcome to the show, Maury. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I'm really excited to, to chat with you guys. Great. Huh? Well, you know, you're one of my favorite creators right now because oh. everything I. And I told you, we got to meet at High Level Games and mm-hmm. get to role play with you some and get to talk a bunch. And I just love everything y'all are doing. And I want you to move 
to the southeast. <laughs> because, so we can play in your game so better. Play, yeah. Too many of y'all live like up in the northeast, and the northeast is saturated. You need to come down yeah, here. That's true. Yeah. They do have more more large opportunities per capita, I think. Yeah. In the in the northeast. And um, of every type of lark. I have to put you on the list though, Jason, because I've got people that want me to move to Toronto, and I've got people that want me to move to the Pacific Northwest. Well, if it helps, all three of us want you to move, right. so we oh, carry more okay. weight. Yeah. And, and I'm going to say this. Like, the South has plenty of problems, but it's the best food in the entire world. You know, kind of with you on that. <laughs> kind of with you on that. I actually just went to North Carolina a few days ago, when I got far enough south, I got me some barbecues. So oh, yes. And, and I looked, and I looked, and there was no tomato sauce, and I was like, I'm far enough south. That's right. <laughs> Well, Maury, you have uh, – it's interesting because to me it's interesting because you have a very similar kind of career track to me except that I don't do LARPing for a living uh, like I, I, it appears that you do. But He just uh, aspires to. She, <laughs> but you, uh, you've got a master's of, in English literature and uh, a doctor in philosophy and writing and, and new media, which isn't new anymore. Um, no, new media just means like from the nineties. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> now it's just, it's just grunge. Media. Now it's grunge media. Right? Uh, and then it's <laughs> from you know you you had a pretty good career as a communications person uh, in mm-hmm. in some pretty big noteworthy companies, and then at some point you founded uh, you were a co-founder of Learn LARP. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey from uh, the regular world to the <laughs> to the awesome world? So let me just say that being the um, executive, chief creative, whatever, for Learn LARP makes my very strange, circuitous career look like it makes sense, (laughs) Um, which is kind of a nice circle. I was like, yes, I did all of these things in my career to prep myself for this role, which (laughs) isn't really what happened. What happened is I graduated as an English major and everybody was like, what are you going to do, teach? And I was like, heck no, of course not. And I went into corporate communications, learned a lot of event planning, um, working as a, in corporate communications and sponsorship. I learned corporate speak, so I learned how to talk to business. Um, I learned about professional development activities and corporate retreats. After five years of that, I was um, I had two young children, and the life of the number of hours that you put in as a corporate communications executive was pretty uh, abysmal, uh, and so I went back, and that's when I got the master's in English and the master's in education, and sure enough, I became a teacher, um, and uh, did that for a decade, and then was sort of plucked out of the classroom by the school district, who was like, don't you have all these communication skills, so why don't you come be the communications director for the school district, um, but while I was in the classroom, a lot of what I did was role-playing in the classroom. I developed a lot of role-playing scenarios. Um, I, I did SCA, which is that whole question of LARP or not LARP. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I chafed a lot at SCA. I also did vampire LARPs, and I had reasons why I didn't enjoy them. And so I kind of took a hiatus from LARPing and SCA while my children were young and was doing a lot of role-playing scenarios in the classroom. So... We would, for example, we did this elaborate unit where we had to read Ender's Game. And so we put Ender on trial for war crimes and <laughs> genocide. That's yeah. really so clever. Play, yeah. 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 It was fun. So people played different roles for prosecution and 
defense and some people were the PR folks and some people were the psychologists and they, um, they, we spent a whole week doing that and I did other role play scenarios. Up to, wait, wait, you, you've got to tell me, is he guilty? Well, the students, uh, in most cases did convict him. That's great. Even though he had no idea or they're saying he had to. That's the big question is how brainwashed was he, right? Right. Um, and if he was a young person and he was basically either a tool for uh, the general or whether he you know, had any knowledge. And ultimately, a lot of them decided that it didn't matter whether he was brainwashed. He still did what he did, which gets me to the Bucky problem, Bucky Barnes problem <laughs> in Captain Marvel, right? But... <laughs> So this is a classic. This is a classic uh, ethical dilemma that you can role play out because there's not a great answer for it, right? Right. Yeah, I love um, it. And so that was one of the one of the things that I like to do in the classroom. Also, um, you know, we put students on teams and we did different kinds of point activities and things to sort of gamify uh, the classroom. But I never used video games. Um, I was never one of those folks. But that was really what was synonymous with video games and learn. Uh, gaming and learning for a while up to this point were you a gamer did you do tabletop gaming or larp on the side um i i still did tabletop but i had really taken a break from larp because the only larps that were available um that for the most part were bopper larps which i was an athlete and i was really interested in uh, i wasn't wasn't didn't have a problem with the physicality of the bopper larp but i missed the role play element right most of the bopper larps and I avoided vampire larps um, after some experience in the 90s because um, I found some of the community to be really toxic and I found that players were misusing the mechanics. So rather than exploring the monster within, they were just sort of becoming monsters. And, yeah. uh, and I think that's, that's a classic. I use vampire now as sort of a classic issue of a misaligned game where what the players do with it is not what the creators necessarily attended because the mechanics allow them to do it. We talk about that a lot, how that every edition of Vampire has this amazing lore and uh-huh. this great setting, but the mechanics support you killing each other That's and, exactly right. and nothing else. When Which is why it's misaligned, because they want you to do certain things, but then they allow you to or even encourage yeah, that's the other things that are counter to That's it. the thing that I always talk about is that like the humanity system actually rewards you for losing humanity as opposed to as opposed to punishing you. Right. Which is why it's hard to say that they actually wanted you to do something else because why right. right. Um so so I actually was not LARPing at that time. Um, I guess I was mini LARPing in the classroom and the tabletop games that I was part of were pretty LARP heavy, if you talk about it now. Like, yeah. We, we referred to our, when we were playing, we referred to our characters as I versus as in the third person, um, which is pretty LARPy, right? Getting up from the table and, and not saying, my character does this, but just going and doing it. The scene. Yeah. So, um, sometimes so we dressed up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, just, and just go with it, which is what I like. Um, so it wasn't until I went to the first inaugural College of Wizardry in November of 2014 that I sort of got a glimpse of what I thought LARP could be. And it was after going to that 
and again in April of 2015 that I said, I want to give this a go because seeing what's possible through the College of Wizardry, if I took something like that and then translated it to the United States and added on specific community norms and specific technique to see and have wanted to participate in, and I think other people do want to participate in too, then this is something I want to give a go. And so that's how Learn LARP came about. And it turns out that all of this other experience that I have in terms of running a business and founding a business and knowing accountants and knowing lawyers and understanding intellectual property and <laughs> um, all of the different things that go into event planning, um, which is where some LARPs can really go wrong. Um, it's in those devil in the details when it comes down to um, not just being creative, but really being detail-oriented to make sure that you're um, curating an experience for your players. So that was the College of Wizardry in November 2014 was the push that said, I'm going to do this. So what made you, that's a pretty big event to go to. I mean, you had to, to go to Europe and I the, did. I the would, ticket's I not myself. cheap. <laughs> so what pushed you? Do you want it, this trip? This trip was hilarious because right? the first College of Wizardry, basically Klaus and Draken were drunk in a bar and had this idea and they threw up a website and a bunch of people said, yeah, I'll go. And next thing they know, they had you know, 180 people who wanted to go. And so they were like, I guess we better make it. And so the first one, mostly Europeans, there were only four Americans who came to the first one. I traveled alone. There was no bus to get there. Um, and I landed and my, my plane was delayed. So I missed the ride that I was going to catch with some other people from Rocklaw. I had to take like this bus through rural Poland, and I'm, like, trying to speak to the people in Poland with a mixture of English and German. <laughs> I don't speak any Polish, right? But many of them spoke German, and I had German in college, so it was, like, you know, really rusty. Um, and I get on this local bus that's driving me out in the dark through rural Poland and literally lets me off on a street corner that was a bus stop in this rural Polish town. And I knew like two people who were at the LARP. And when I still had Wi-Fi, I texted one of them. It was like, the bus is getting in at 9.30, which was after the LARP had started. And, uh, and I'll be at this bus stop. And so I'm standing on this street corner in rural Poland with my little rolly bag, like with <laughs> <laughs> in, in the dark. And this, uh, Volvo station wagon comes screaming up the street and does like a 180 and flips the door open. <laughs> and I look inside and I see one and I, and they're like going to college of wizardry. And I was like, yes. And I'm like, I'm either going to go to college of wizardry or I'm going to die. So I'm, I just, I got in the car with these three guys. <laughs> I mean, at that point you just got to here in the back and they were like, here, welcome to college. And uh, got to the castle late, and it was uh, it was neat because for the College of Wizardry, like so many of the Nordic LARPs, it's, uh, the thing that I like about it is that instead of playing person to system, right, in many of the LARPs or tabletops, you interact with the system, and the system mediates between you and another person. 
So if you and I are going to fight, Jason, right? Right. The system, the system will decide whether I win or you win, or some sort of mechanic will. We'll either do rock paper scissors, or we'll do a card pull, Something. or we'll roll the giant dice, right? But the system mediates your my interaction with you, right? right? What we do at New World Magiscola and at all the larks that I design is we try to pull the system out of there so that you and I just interact. But that means we have to negotiate and communicate so that we can both get the role play that we want and one of us doesn't overpower each other. So we may need to discuss um, how we want the fight to come out. Right. Uh, and I find it to be much more powerful and much more immersive when we're just talking to each other, not um, going, I have scrounges and abilities, so therefore I can read this thing that you have. Like, if you hand me a piece of paper, I can read it. I don't have to have an ability that says I read it. Um, and that levels up the intensity of the experience. But it does require rules. It requires mechanics. It just requires a different kind of mechanics. It requires so, mechanics that are involved with consent and with communication and with um, uh, how we treat each other, right? And so I kind of quite literally want to change the world with LARP. <laughs> so, so what does that look like? You know, what's the nitty-gritty? So basically we set out to say every society has norms. We're going to create some intentional norms that our community members will abide by and that they will use during role play and that they will practice these norms for the four days that they're playing this LARP and that we believe that after practicing them for the four days and three nights, that some of them will become ingrained and they will be begin to be used elsewhere. We also believe that by using these norms that we will empower people and give them more agency. So what kind of norms are we talking about? Only young, conventionally handsome, tall men are in power. Okay. Right? So we're going to want to put... Um, people of all genders, all body sizes, all abilities, all ethnicities in positions of power, both in the lore and physically embodied in the life. Yes. Um, we are going to normalize the use of pronouns. So everyone's pronouns will be on their name tag. Everyone's pronouns will be delineated. Pronouns will be respected. We're going to introduce a mechanic that shows you how you can correct if someone uses the incorrect pronoun. We are going to, we intentionally decided that um, in the Majamundi, in the lore, that the default pronoun was they, and that everyone is they until you either notice or are told otherwise, right? Now, that is not always a perfect fix because they is a misgender for some people, and for some people, particularly trans-binary people, being called they is, a, is problematic, but it is... Um, in, it appears to be for most people to be much better because first of all, it normalizes they as a pronoun. Second of all, it doesn't assume gender for anyone. Um, and then third, it requires you to explicitly state your pronoun um, and or gender for everyone. Because one of the problems of not doing that is you run into the people who quote unquote need to state what their pronoun is versus people who, quote-unquote, don't need to because you can assume. And we're like, don't assume. It's they as a default. And then someone will either correct you or you will see it on the name text. 
the pronoun that they wear on their badge or, or whatever, is that the pronoun of their character or so their player? Our, we have all of our characters and players have name tags that are both in and out of character. So we give them a double-sided name tag um, where they have pre, um, put in their pronouns ahead of time. So it's their player name and player pronouns. And then they flip it and put it in the thing for their character name and character pronouns. And we reiterate that those are not always the same. Right. Because right. one of the things that we've noticed is that we have a rather large percentage of folks who've played New World Magiscola and done gender identity exploration and just tried on new pronouns or new gender identities for the four days um, in a safe environment. To That's see wonderful. And understand what it feels like. And then after embodying it and hearing it and being it for those days can make better informed decisions for themselves about, um, about who they are. And, uh, one of the other things that's happened is we've had people who come to our games who have never known someone who is queer, who have never known someone who is trans and by being around them and playing with them and being in this intentional community, they're, um, eyes are open to a lot of issues and things that they've never actually even thought about. Well, and it helps make them better allies. I'm going to say that's absolutely happened for me. Not at, at your game, because I haven't been, uh -huh. but I, I grew up in a very regressive area. Like, I mean, yeah. people were still using racial slurs when they referred to black people. Mm -hmm. It was not that uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> and while it's, it's sad, it's a, but it's very true. Right. And while that was a while ago now, and it's much better than it was. It's still sort of backwards. Mm -hmm. And going to LARP especially helped me get rid of a lot of that because I got to just meeting people who yep. were different than me, whether it was skin color, sexuality. Uh, I mean, it, it, honestly, and I hate to admit it, it took me a little while to get over um, transgender issues just because yep. I had no experience at all. Well, the solution to, to systemic issues cultural issues is to expose people to the systems of other cultures. Right, and it helped me so much get over things that I didn't even realize were a hang-up. Yeah. No, yeah. it's... And, and so true is that we only know what we know, right? So right? we're, like, blinded right. to our own prejudice until you actually... I mean, like, I've grown a lot um, over the four years that we've been doing this because I had some ingrained prejudices that I'd never, you know... I. I had, I've been a world traveler, you know, I have multiple degrees in education. Um, and yet certain things I've never really thought of, like the, like how systemic Christmas is. I think we're always on this like continuous learning thing and things shift. Um, and they, and that's, that's a good thing. Society right. should shift. Right. And so just because four years ago we used terminology like preferred pronouns and now people say, please don't use the word preferred. Let's just say my pronouns are. Um, the Things keep moving as we get more and more explicit in our communication and our understanding about those things. And so if we do it in a LARP environment, we have the alibi of the character to allow us to try things that we might otherwise be less willing to try because either of social norms or from our own hangups or peer pressure or worry about what other people think. And the cool thing about LARP is that although it was your character that did it, it was you that did it, right? And so your body did it. It was your pheromones that were reacting and your, um, 
your brain and those memories are in there as if it wasn't it's you it's not like it was the character and so you remember it and now you've done it once right it's like jumping off the deep end and now you know you can swim and so now you can do it in your regular life when um when I first started LARPing I was terrified of speaking in public like I, I had a huge fear and my character ended up uh ended up being the leader like, just through. Nice. And so, like, anytime I had to go do something in public in real life, in my head I'd go, I'm going to put my Bates the Hook hat on now. Right, yep. right. And because, and, you know, if that character can go up and stand on a chair and scream at people to go to war with me, and they would, I can put on that imaginary invisible hat and, you know, go tell my boss I need a raise or, or whatever it was that I was fearful for. So I totally get what you're saying. It's one yeah. thing. One of the things that people are writing about now is the fact that there's no in character because it's it's always you, even if you're just yep. playing another aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And because your brain can't really tell the difference, we're not That's ever right. out or in character. We're just acting differently. And I'm fascinated by that because it just it really speaks to how powerful LARP is and an extension of kind of imaginary playtime as a kid. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. one, of the, one of the reasons why I dislike the fact that we have given terminology to bleed because oh, because I feel preach, preach. I'm with you first of all let me just say I feel like you and I may be best friends here in a few minutes, but I feel like by calling it bleed it gives us an excuse to either not deal with it or to choose to deal with the parts of it that we like and not the parts that we don't and it, it, it acts as an excuse for behaviors uh, and it's the I, same it, as alibi, the same problem we had with alibi a few years ago. It's yeah. Like, bleed presupposes that there is a separation between the character and the player. And I call BS on that. Amen. <laughs> you are always, the player and the character exist simultaneously. They are crisscrossing all the time. It's a massive porous wall. There's no such thing as this. I mean, we can do a ritual that says I crossed the threshold and now I'm in game, right? Um, but let's face it, if, you're, if you've ever learned, in the first hour or 10 minutes even, depending on what it is, like, it's a gradual process, yeah. right? Like, um, and you are shifting in and out and you have things like, what are they, you know, we call them LARP goggles or whatever, where you can go, yes, there's modern bathroom facilities in this medieval LARP. And that <laughs> is fine, <laughs> right? And so... You're shifting in and out all the time. And steering steering requires that you, as the person, are making decisions for yourself and what kind of play you want while you are in character. For, for our listeners, because we are very pro-steering. We talk yeah, about that a lot. Yeah. Would, would you? Would, what's your explicit definition, just for our listeners? The, the steering is when the, the player makes choices about what they, as a player, want to do are comfortable with in terms of type of role play that they want, where they want to go, um, who they want to interact with, and what kinds of situations they want to put the character in. And steering can be motivated by altruism, right? Like, I want to go bring this other person who's over there sitting by themselves. I'm going to steer myself over there to bring them into the LARP. Um, it can be motivated by personal gain, right? Like, if I go over there, people are going to pay more attention to me. Um, but it's the way of you being able to calibrate constantly your own experience and that's about autonomy and agency and that's powerful ryan's uh, argument is that characters never have it because a character isn't real it's agency is my agency 
what yeah. I tell it to do, and that's it. I think a character's a tool. It's a tool you wear. Yeah. I think characters can take over in a right. sort of way. Um, if you've ever, you know, written a novel or written a very long piece of fiction, right. um, sometimes your mind gets confused. Did it, this happen or did I write that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's kind of a weird space that I could say is probably the closest thing that I might acknowledge to bleed, which is that sense of, did I do that or did my character do that, right? right. Because what happens when you're role-playing is that you will do things you don't expect because you will be in the mindset of your character and the and you will say to yourself, my character would do this, so I should do it, right? And that's a type of steering, but it's also that murky moment where you kind of give over to the character, right? So I would argue the agency is still in the player because the player could go, my character would go, screw this person over here because we're playing a romance. And the player would go, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So you don't have to give in. So just because the character agency would say, let's do this, the player doesn't have to give in to that. Yeah. Right. Um, and no one should just, ever use, I'm just playing my character as an excuse. For bad behavior. No, never, ever. <laughs> for any behavior. Right. Well, for <laughs> any behavior. That's exactly right. Yeah. And well, I, because you, you have a choice. You always have a choice. I don't care if your player, if your character would do that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And if your character would do that and you want to have it happen, that doesn't mean you have to role play it. Like there are all kinds of things you can do to say, hey, let's say this thing happened. Fade to black. Yep. Right. Fade to black. And we'll come back and say this thing happened. But that's a topic we're not going to bring up in role play. Right. Do you want to talk about your intellectual property some, specifically the world of Magiscola? Sure. Um, It's an elaborate allegory for contemporary, uh, (laughs) contemporary the world politics, unfortunately, some of it was written four years ago where it was sort of a dystopian, oh my God, what if some of these things happened and then some of these things actually happened. Um, and so some of the stuff that's in it now seems a bit on the nose, but it was like cautionary back in <laughs> Hey, this is it's not a good decade for dystopia writers. No, it's not. Uh, so... Basically, the world of the Magimundi is a a world where magic is real, and it's overlaid on top of um, our our regular history. And so you have um, people who can wield magic um, of various sorts, and they sort of hang out amongst themselves in their own communities, but they also blend in. So it's sort of like the masquerade, right, in Vampire. They're also blending in and interacting with um, the mundane world. And... They have their own set of politics, and we set up the Magimundi to mirror some of the issues that we deal with, right? There are five provinces, but then there's a council of five, so it's a loose system of whether the federalists, right, versus the provinces who's in, who who matters most. So if you change one province to another, the laws may change. Um, it is very much oligarchic um, as a cautionary <laughs> cautionary. <laughs> issue because so you have specific families of specific means who are pretend who are who control the largest majority of the assets but you have this resistance movement right that's been going on and so so much of what we write is teaching social activism in a lot of ways it's getting people to stand up against um problems right and misuse of power this all takes place in modern time 
So we've written 400 years of history because once you get started writing, like you realize that you end up writing more and more because we needed a past to lead to how we got to the present. And so colonialism and anti-colonialism is a big theme because we call it New World Magispola for a reason. And we are interrogating um, what gets becomes powerful and what gets normalized, right? So for example, wand magic is considered superior, but we also are interrogating why wand magic is considered superior because wand magic was the magic of the colonizers, right? Wand magic was from Europe. And we had other cultures who used knives or orbs or their hands to cast magic. And that is still part of the world. But so why is wand magic the thing? Well, we should talk about that. Um, magical ethics and theory is a mandatory class at New World Magiscola, and we, we use a lot of um, allegorical things. I was telling you about the vampires. We had a case study where it was, what do we do with the vampires, right? The role players were wrestling with, well, you know, they sometimes kill humans and they might expose and, um, us, and they can be dangerous beasts, and but they also have a right to exist, and they were going round and round, and ultimately they decided they would round up all the vampires and put them in a specific location. Perhaps a reservation? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Like the participants were like being completely logical and going through this until we got you know to the end of the module, and then we were like, does this remind you of anything? In the moment, it makes perfect sense. No, I mean, it. it's terrible. Yeah, it's, it's terrible, it's terrible yeah. yes. Oh, it's always terrible, but like you're sitting there trying to like, you know, you're trying to solve a problem. This is part of, this is part of what we do is we want them to wrestle with these sorts of things, but people don't want to wrestle with it when you're like being overly didactic and beating them over the head with it. Right. Right. So if we say, let's talk about the Japanese internment camps or let's talk about religion, but we're going to talk about what we're going to do with the vampires or what we're going to do with the mermaids or the lichens. Um, and People have had wonderful epiphanies later, right? Because that means you're thinking about systemic issues and oppression and societal norms. And that's what I want. So New World Magiscola is sort of based a little bit loosely on College of Wizardry. And College of Wizardry was sort of loosely kind of inspired and based on Harry Potter. So pulling this string, how is... New World Magiscola different from what people think of Harry Potter as? One of the things that we wanted to do was we said we wanted to do magic in North America, right? Um, we wanted to bring in a lot of magical traditions that are here and also the sort of idea of the mixing of all these different magical traditions. And we were writing this before she came out with Bill um, Morney and the No Matches and some of the other things. And of course, one of the things that she wrote was there, there just weren't very many magical people in North America before the colonists got here. Because they all died. <laughs> we were just like, no, Rowling, don't, no, you know. And uh, and I was like, somebody needs to write magical universe for United States, Canada, Mexico, and North America. It needs to be somebody who understands the politics and the history of what's going on here. Um, New World Magiscola is Wizard College. We do do a camp for kids where it's like wizard prep school, but we basically, if you aged out the people from the Harry Potter books and put them in college, so a little bit more like the magicians, um, <laughs> and then had a whole economy and like where they had to think about getting a job and um, how to pay for school and privilege and 
Um, I'm, I'm just going to be super rich like Harry, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> just magically yeah, super gonna... rich. Yeah, that bunch of gold that was in the bottom of Gringotts that you just yeah. come into one day, right? <laughs> Hang out with my girlfriend, Mary Sue. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a, there's, there's a lot of that. So we do have people who are, you know, very fond of the Harry Potter novels, and I was, you know, fond of them, too. They don't hold up. Um, extremely well over time uh, under under examination, um, but they were still a great memory um, and a great, wonderfully imaginative world. They're very British, right? Yeah, and, and they're children's books. And they are children's books. So yeah, so we were getting into um, we have we get into a lot more politics, um, a lot more dark themes. But one of the things I suppose we keep from it that's really important for me is we keep whimsy, right? And so you can totally go to New World Magiscola, which is a wizard school LARP, and go to school and not really get involved with some of the darker stuff that's going on around you. But what we're discovering is that that's a fun thing to role play. But because we've built this really rich world is that people now want to play in other parts of it. And so that's why we're doing a cryptozoology LARP or a bunch of the different people who are interested in the cryptids and creatures are getting together, and part of what they're doing is discussing classifications of creatures, talk about a political process, right? Can, can, I, can you tell me some about that design for the uh, cryptozoological LARP? What's that going to look like? It will be sort of a magical conference, right? <laughs> essentially, um, where cryptozoologists and researchers who have discovered different species and different things are coming together and looking at how they will classify them. So are these... Is this cryptid sentient? Is this cryptid sapient? Right? Um, what do we protect this creature? Um, do we allow this creature to be raised, harvested, um, killed? So, a you're hanging out with some some neat cryptids, but b you're you're discussing who has the power to say over these species who may or may not communicate right in the same sort of way that we do, whether there can be put in cages and raised for meat or whether they can uh, deserve to are considered on par with humans and therefore our society of their own. Um, so it's a, it's, it's really a political art. Well, I'm you glad know. that we're talking about this because it makes you the expert. Centaurs. <laughs> <laughs> they have two rib cages. Do they have yeah. four lungs? <laughs> That's a good question. I would have to bring that before the Magimindi Association of Cryptozoologists. You should bring that up. This yeah. is an important yeah. plot point. How do the babies safe. hold their heads up? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's safe with the wampus cat, right? We said the wampus cat has a human torso, but then the lion uh, body. I think that one did have two sets of lungs. I'll have to look. That one's in our um, that one's in our compendium of creatures. So uh, t- tell us some about your compendium of creatures. We got started by wanting to create a cryptozoology textbook for our wizard college. And we got really interested in all these snippets of folklore that are around North America, that are a lot of which are regional. So like the squonk, if you live in Pennsylvania, you might have heard of the squonk. Um, if you live in West Virginia, you might have heard of the Mothman, right? Most of yeah. us have heard of um, Bigfoot or Sasquatch, um, Chessy and all these different lake monsters. And so we basically started saying, those are all real. 
Um, they're just magical creatures, and occasionally a mundane gets sight of them, and then we have to uh, try to debunk that they aren't possibly, you know, real, but they are. And people who are magical can see them. People who are mundane cannot. But occasionally there's, you know, there's these sightings. And then, um, so we started, like, kind of bringing to life those things. Because, like, the cactus cat had, like, a tiny little snippet in lore. It was, like, cowboys used to hear yowling in the desert and um, reported seeing a cat-like creature moving among the cactus. And then they would wake up in the morning... And all of their liquor would be gone. Mysteriously. <laughs> so that's how it got started. And then I started creating creatures when I needed them. So we created a, a book. Um, our Compendium of Creatures, Volume 1, has um, 55 creatures pulled from folklore or from our brains um, and brought into like the sense of you know, what they are, where they live, what they eat, what's their anatomy, what magical components do they have. So our Compendium of Creatures evolved into a second volume, which will be coming out soon, another 60 creatures. But we had a bunch of people that were asking us, hey, I want to bring these creatures into my D&D campaigns, or I want to bring these creatures into my Pathfinder campaigns. They're not looking to run a Magimundi D&D game. They just love the creatures you've created and want them to be fought. That's correct. That's correct. And so what we've done now is... We're producing a bestiary um, D&D 5th edition version and a bestiary D um, Pathfinder 1.0 version. We will update it to the new Pathfinder once all the Pathfinder wars, edition wars, and um, and things come out. Once so the people can just turn. Yeah, you know there's going to be. I mean, like, it's only in a, it's only in what, a week? A few days? <laughs> yeah, something Pathfinder like that. Pathfinder comes out. It's a pretty um, book. I don't know if you've seen a picture of the of it yet, but the the Gen Con special edition is like this red, gold leaf print book. It's pretty. I just want to say, I want to write a game that people like so much they'll pay me twenty dollars to play test it. <laughs> yeah, that's, true. That, that's what I want so bad. Life goals, there, Jason. Got it. <laughs> I mean, does it get any better than that? Hey, this game isn't done yet, and it's probably broke. Could you please pay me to play yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. And then sell out. Which is which is partially why we're not doing, we're like, let's go ahead and just release ours for Pathfinder 1.0. We know that works. That's right. Um, the bestiary that we were producing, it's going to be available on D&D Guild and available on Drive Through RPG. Um, and you can, um, through August 7th, you can get it, uh, be one of the first folks to get it on Kickstarter, or you can pre-order it once the campaign's over. We'll put the link up to the Kickstarter and everything in our show notes. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Thanks. Um, it's been really fascinating for me because I really got to dive into the nuances between Pathfinder and 5th edition. So, like, seeing my, one of my creatures that I created, right, um, the Malagast, right? The Malagast was one of those 2 a.m. I'm writing a character. I need some sort of spoopy thing. Suddenly there's a Malagast, and the Malagast has six tentacles and eyes all down its tentacles and the eyes on its head, and it's an ethereal spirit that feeds on negative emotions. And But seeing that come to life through the stats of Pathfinder and the um, skills and attributes and then how we tweak that to go for 5th edition so that things like um, fearful gaze is in one way and then like um, 
charm is another type of ability. And I don't think in abilities, right? I know. So huh. I understand me, some that. people really do, right? And so I've been working with a crackerjack team of folks who are like, I say concept, they say, oh, it's this, 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 and this. Um, and leveling them against each other, it's been great, right? Like, because the compendium just presents them all in alphabetical order and gives you lots of nitty gritty details. Whereas the bestiaries that we're creating for Pathfinder and fifth edition really have to say, how powerful is a snipe, right? It's a CR one fourth. What if you have a swarm of them, right? What if you have a swarm of snipe? Right? You have to answer those questions. Who would win in a fight? <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, I'm stuck in this. Is it Batman or Superman, right? right. Like, I'm down to, you know, okay, if a hex paw fought the ball-tailed cat, who would? <laughs> what about for folks who don't go to your LARP, uh, what 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 would you say is the, the great thing about the Magimundi bestiary that they can get uh, to, to sort of add to the campaign? Why is, why is the Magimundi bestiary uh, different than the Monster Manual, I guess? Ah, yeah, good question. Um, so first of all, it's creatures you don't have. They're they're completely new and different and unique. Um, so it's additional creatures. So if you're tired of owlbears and oozes, um, then you have some extra ones to go to. Some of these, remember I said earlier about whimsy, that it's really important to me to keep some whimsy right. into the world. So some of these creatures are surprising and unique and you really aren't going to just kill them and harvest from them, right? Like you need to either negotiate with them or maybe you just let them be in their habitat and get something from them or encounter or encounter them. Some of them might be on the annoying and surprising or even funny right. um, uh, angle, which I don't see too often. Most of the monsters in a monster manual are there for you to vanquish and get the treasure from. Yeah. I'm actually trying to incorporate a little bit of a different kind of play so that every time you see a creature, maybe you shouldn't just kill it. Um, <laughs> All right, yeah. It's, <laughs> um, so some of the creatures are on the very strange and surprising, um, and how do you get rid of them or get past them is not by just uh, killing them or vanquishing them. You don't have to... I noticed that carries down. that carries through in the the artwork that you have too. Some of the artwork looks very dark and Dungeons and Dragonsy, and then some of it looks almost like whimsical Adventure Time creatures. You know, there's yeah. there's colors. Yes, yes, no, very much so. Um, and I guess that's just sort of like the two halves of my brain. I don't know. <laughs> so, what is your favorite creature you've made? Oh, wow. I'm kind of partial to the bisonity, the which is, yeah, it's like, okay, so a manatee is a sea cow, mm -hmm. and the bisonity is a sea buffalo. Ah! <laughs> That's great! <laughs> do, you, and, do, you have uh, a, do you have a picture of that on your Kickstarter? Uh, I think we do. I All think right. we do. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's on one of the page layouts. Uh, but, you just uh, sold Carrie on the he's book. He's a chill dude. He's like, he's got this... Um, you know how manatees are. They just kind of float, right? right. Yep. The bisonity is very smart and very, um, you know, got a lot of wisdom. And But he has, like, his energy suck. So, like, you get around the bisonity <laughs> and he's, like, sucking your energy and just, you know, living off your vibe. <laughs> 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 going. 
<laughs> That's crazy. I mean, I've played D&D for a long time, and I haven't played uh, as much as I want to, but that whole, like, encounter, roll, vanquish, grab, go can really be changed up. I help run a, a mush, which is a text-based role-playing game, and I kid you not, we were just talking about how we need a lake monster, and I, I want to use the... the yeah, I want to do like a little like, I don't, I don't heard of them maybe or something. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we actually have a thing for when there's more than one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tanya, we're using uh, this! <laughs> I mean, we have your classic lake monsters. We have the Ogopogo, mm-hmm. which um, there's many of them in various lakes around. And then there's the lightning snake, which is what's on the cover. If you, you've right. seen that. Yeah, yeah it's, pr- it's a pretty we- cover. Thank you. Yeah, we'll have a separate uh, separate cover for the D and D one. Uh, she did she did three really interesting concept ones, and we pulled that one. And then so Pathfinder will have one cover, D and D will have another. So. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, that's fantastic. Are are you successful enough with Learn LARP to, for it to be your day job? Uh, partially. I, I asked this question. <laughs> I asked this question because everyone always talks about how there's you know there's no money in LARP. And, and yeah. it's very difficult to, to support yourself in tabletop gaming, you know, as yeah. a writer or creator, uh, and, and it's even harder in LARP. And, and so that's uh, why I, I will, ask. I will not disagree with that. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is very, very difficult. Um, LARP is at the beginnings of becoming an industry, and because it has been a hobby, um, trying to have people pay what the actual cost for producing one of these events, especially producing an event um, at the level of um, immersion and professionalism that we try to do, is is sometimes a, a stretch to have people go, golly, why does this cost $700? Um, right. Well, here's why, right? We struggle to get people to pay five bucks at vampire games. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no immersion. <laughs> right. Well, and that's part of it, right, is that, I mean, we're bringing an entire, you know, 20, 20 foot truck full of props and lighting effects and multi-thousand dollar costumes and... Renting a castle or whatever. And a a cast of 24 and a writing staff of eight and and those sorts of things. So the margins for the um, in-person events are quite slim. Um, And so one of the things that we've been doing is is supplementing with merchandise, which has a much more proven industry where the margins are, are better. Um, that helps us keep the price as low as we can, although we're trying to continuously show value so that we can begin to capture um, more. So it's kind of um, like they, they go to New World Magiscola, and then while they're there, they can buy a T-shirt that says, I went to New World Magiscola or something like that. Correct, yeah. correct. Or, you know, we've leveraged, we've taken some of our at art assets that were in the compendium and we've developed a, a line of enamel pins um, cool. that people who attend the games or people who don't attend the games can um, can purchase. Now, that's, you know, basically $4 at a time of profit that, uh, that comes your way, but if you sell enough of them. We're at the point now between Etsy and um, Amazon that we do have some of that passive income that's coming from the right. merchandise mm-hmm. events and that helps to prop up the slow times between events. Yeah. Right? And, and being able to, and being able to repurpose things like the bestiary is super yep. cool. Yeah. 
and that's important. You know, I've been working with a financial advisor and my IP attorney, and it's like these, you know, these things are assets, right? So how do you turn them into more than one, more than one thing? So we can do a line on Threadless where if people want to get a Cactus Cat T-shirt, then um, they don't have to know anything about Magiscola, but they can get a Cactus Cat T-shirt. Jason, or, you need a Ooh. Cactus Cat T-shirt. I might get one. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, and then the publishing aspect of it, right? Like doing the books and the bestiary that um, if you can raise the funds to get off the ground to get them published, then you can sell the overs at, um, at conventions and in other places. So we're sort of making it up as we go along in terms of life being an industry, right? Um, there's a few of us now who are doing it, but um, it's a lot of trial and error um, as we figure out what prices the market will bear. Um, I am a consultant as well. Um, I've done some um, participatory storytelling consulting for several large companies uh, in the entertainment world um, to be the narrative designer for a series of classroom role play scenarios. Oh, that's um, perfect. That's awesome. Yeah, which is super, super exciting. So um, the ones that we're starting with are all history and government based. So like a constitutional crisis with where the 25th Amendment might need to be invoked, uh, which is the presidential powers, if you need to put the vice president in charge. The company that I'm working with is iThrive Games, and they're very interested in social emotional learning, um, which is right up my alley for the first <laughs> half of this interview, right? So right. we're looking at uh, empathy and communication and problem solving um, and ways for, for people to understand what it's like to be a decision maker. And you know how it's real easy to sit on your couch and say, that was the wrong call. Right. right. But if you were in the situation and having this information come at you and you did your best to make the decision, right, having that empathy for those deciders um, is a, a big part of a civil society. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a, I love that take on it because, like, for years, I, I don't want to say that I, like, hated people who were in Congress, but, like, I just assumed that they were just... <laughs> I mean, I just assume they're all greedy and out for themselves, you know? It's And while you're not completely wrong... Well, the, this, <laughs> this article gave me another take on it, and which is that if you spend uh, basically 10 months out of the year raising money so that you can be reelected, nothing right. matters to you except having a couple hours in the evening when I don't have to do that. Right. So if somebody gives me 10 grand, they didn't give me $10,000. They gave me two free evenings. Right. And that's valuable. And getting to role play something like that so that you actually yeah. feel the impact of, well, I'm not greedy. I just need this evening off. And that guy gave me a free dinner. I'm not going to vote yeah. his way. But then you do. And you don't mean yeah. to. But it's easy. You're just playing your character. I'm just playing my character. Oh! <laughs> I didn't mean to. If you teach people how easy it is to become corrupt, then no. maybe they won't become corrupt. Right? There's an argument there. <laughs> this, this whole podcast just went transmedia. Yeah, transmedia. No. Well, so, in other words, devoid of any meaning. <laughs> Welcome to Honor Roll. Yeah. You do... You, at some point, go back and listen to our buzzword episode, and it's Ryan crapping on everything anybody says about big LARPs. To be fair, it's all of it's very honest, like transmedia, not really mean anything, and blockbuster. It, it doesn't really mean anything. It just means big. Doesn't mean anything, right? I, I like I've been actually moving away from it. I call it destination, 
LARP? Well, because like it's a, it's it's the notion of people go to a specific place for the purpose of LARP. Destination right. is sense. definitely better. It's definitely yeah. better. I always feel like the real the real difference to me. Uh, the, the nomenclature I always use is the difference between a game and an experience. Yeah. You know, like Vampire is a role-playing game. It's a LARP game. And New World Magiscola really is a role-play or LARP experience. And, and I think that that's a, a big difference. And it also affects the, the sort of mentality that we have when we approach the rules and when we approach the, the collaborative or non-collaborative yeah. elements. A game you want to win, an experience you want to share with everyone. That makes good sense. Yeah. 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 And uh, I've actually been moving away from calling it a game because uh, it can invite criticism for if you're trying to do serious topics. Yeah. Um, people will say you shouldn't uh, invoke serious topics and make them into a game. Yeah. Like yet, exploring gender, a really powerful way to explore serious topics. Right. So. But exp exploring gender, you know, is not a game. No. Yeah. No, yeah. and we don't have stats for gender. It's not right. like yeah. <laughs> like there's no there's no winning gender. Yeah, exactly. So, so. I won my gender. What? Yeah. No. Well, well, in no. a battle, obviously. Right? <laughs> the guy had a way cooler one than me, so I took it. We do want to just quickly touch, just because it's been in the news. You know, you have experienced some some hiccups along the way. Uh, sure. You, you had uh, some contract issues with uh, one of your locations. I'm going to leave that as an open question, right. though, and just say, you know, would you like to address that? So, as I mentioned, we're sort of the battering ram uh, for this industry in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, that means when you're at the forefront, you take some risks. Um, and sometimes you get uh, some sometimes you get hit on the nose a little bit as you have some learning opportunities. Um, in one of our locations, the second year of our of our program, uh, we were at the College of William & Mary, and um, there were some serious um, issues with the site and with what was promised and with what was delivered. And in addition, we were sort of um, recovering from uh, our first year's cost. Being a startup is, is pretty hard. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. First year's hard, second year's harder. Um, you kind of get, if you can get past those two things and get over it. Uh, and we had a contract dispute with the College of William and Mary, which is a state institution. It was not resolved um, and was referred to the Office of the Attorney General, which is the college's lawyer. There's not, there's not a private lawyer. If you're a state institution or a state company, um, the Office of the Attorney General is your attorney. And so um, somewhat out of the blue, but not entirely unexpected, um, we were served with a lawsuit against uh, from the College of William and Mary. Uh, the stinks. It was extremely stressful. It was right before we were going into NWM for 2019. Um, but when you're in business in the United States, uh, lawsuits are a thing that can happen. Right. Um, it's one of the reasons why you carry the kind of insurance that you need to carry um, in the United States to be in business. I'm happy to say that, that we have negotiated with the Commonwealth and have settled. It's not entirely entered, but at this point we have settled it and we'll be moving forward as a company. Um, it does not mean that our company is broke. It does not mean that um, we have a problem paying our folks. Um, we've paid every other uh, venue that we have been in, um, which is a dozen other venues that we've used. You know, we've paid all of our contractors. We pay all of our writers. We pay all of our artists. Um, this was a single dispute with a single entity for good reasons that I can't talk about. That's right. Um, 
yeah, because yeah. of the lawsuit. But um, it is something that we've negotiated and settled, and we'll be moving forward. I just want to say the real story behind all this is the fact that we have probably the the largest LARP company right now in the United States, yourself, or at very least one of the largest. And I mean, I think uh, Dystopia Rising is... is, is yeah, that's know, far, true. That's fair. Larger, but that's a different kind of experience, yeah. but yeah. But anyway, you, you've got this really big company, and everything you hear about is overwhelmingly positive. The goals that y'all have are very positive, and everybody in the community knows that. And, and I would say the real story is the fact that either one of two things were happening. One, you were either you were struggling, which is not what was happening, or it was a normal contract dispute that every business in the whole country has went through. And people just wanted to go crazy and crap all over you for that, and that is insane. Well, and it also happened timing-wise on the heels of the Joe Black, Joe, Joe Black, I can't ever say it. The Joe d- Back. Joe Back yeah. Studios, you know, their, their legal and yeah. monetary issues in Europe. And so I think yeah. it was just timely for people Yeah, you to, just piggybacked poorly. People <laughs> gossip. Oh, it's the, it's the truth. I mean, the, the Joe Back fiasco, I mean, they, they left people hanging with tickets. They have events that people have bought tickets to that never right. uh, materialized. And those people didn't get refunds. They have uh, employees who were not paid. They have venues... Uh, multiple venues who are not paid. Um, it, yeah. it is uh, not analogous at all, but because we both did Wizard LARPs, it certainly, you know, it's easy to try to make that, right. but it's that still, connection. I and still, I will say, Jason, it did hurt personally, right? Yeah, like, I bet. To see the amount of uh, shade and, and just real cruelty being tossed around um, on the internet. Um, Especially without, since your game seems to be about being positive and making life better for everybody. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's just easy to do from the distance on the internet. Yeah. It's pretty easy to make a meme. It's pretty easy to make assumptions. Well, it's I'm not, not as easy to reach out and say, hey, what's going on here? I'm not an entrepreneur or a lawyer, but I play one in a LARP. So <laughs> I can speak to this. Right. And, uh, yeah. So I'm not going to say that happens so frequently. I know you know that's why yes. you're saying it that way. Yeah. I think that people don't understand. I think some of it was the timing with the Joe Black yeah. Joe Black stuff. And but some again, of it, why do they revel in that? And then, and, no, and because that was because that hurt so many people is why. But you still don't revel in it. It's well, bad news. It's nothing to. Yeah, and the, and then I think some of it was just that, uh, like you know, you had said that the the process is that the 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 college the colleges lawyer is the attorney general and but when you hear that someone is being served a lawsuit from an attorney general if if you don't if you don't understand those processes it sounds like they must have done something really bad if the attorney (laughs) general's how many people did you murder right it's like what Yeah. I know so is it funny because my attorney says you know he's like I represent these kinds of contract disputes you know multiples per day right yeah it's you know Joe's deli and you know and this person's uh HV, HVAC contractor and you know this sort of thing but because it was wizard school um it was uh right it was somehow newsworthy yeah um but you do sort of hope that people will give you the benefit of the doubt. But then again, that's a really big hope. Well, I <laughs> think I think that you're awesome, and I've really liked getting to know you here. It's been really cool. And uh, what what is in the future for for Learn LARP? Oh, uh, so we're going to be releasing the Majimundi um, as a as a complete setting and tabletop system. Um, oh, a system and, and everything. That's... Yeah, in early oh. 2020. So we've developed a. 
a type of uh, a type of system that uses fate dice or fudge dice that allows for the kind of um, calibration and whimsy that we're able to do within the LARPs. Right. So you can basically play our, our in our setting and our modules sort of on family mode where the magical effects can cause things like there's a cloud that's over your head and it rains on just you for um, <laughs> for the next two hours or in the middle, which is um, uh, violent but not lethal, or you can play really dark. Um, and the way that the system works allows you to um, to play on all those levels, which I think is really cool. Are you um, using also, Are you using the Fate system as a toolkit, or are you just using the dice? Just using the dice. Okay, um, that's people, okay. People who play Fate will recognize some things from it because there's, um, but uh, it's way less crunch than Fate, and even Fate Accelerated is not even that much crunch. But um, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. I was like, wait a minute. There's <laughs> Fate is is applesauce. <laughs> there's no crunch. It has a applesauce. <laughs> it's like if you get those little crystals when you... Yeah. So you have consequences and successes, but you can mitigate the consequences and successes based upon your bonds with others or based upon your magical specialties. Um, and it really uh, creates some of that whimsy because one of the things that I think about magic is I don't think a spell should work every time um, because just because you learned the spell doesn't mean that you can pull it off every single time. Right. It's I like a sport or an art. To be able to show that. Right? Yeah, even Babe Ruth didn't hit a home run every time. That's right. So that's uh, coming down the pike. Um, I, I mentioned in January we're doing a winter event, January 3rd through 5th. So I'm, I'm excited about that. That one's, And I mentioned the Luguru Summit we're going to do. I have it in the back of my mind this office space LARP that I really want to do. And I've been <laughs> collecting lots of printers and things we can smash. Um and so that I really want to be a one-day event where basically you work for two companies that have now merged. And so the day of this event is the day that, you know, everybody's trying to figure out who does what and nobody does anything because they're all part of this new company. And the PR team is running through with their cameras, charging everyone to come up with a new name for the new company with a new vision, mission, and goals. I love and, it. Uh, <laughs> I think you okay okay I'm gonna say something Ryan is always a little weird about like blockbuster LARPs I think you just sold him on one <laughs> I, I, he, he's in PR for his day job so I just imagine him showing up going ugh <laughs> but it's gonna be fun to play out and be able to say some of the things that you couldn't actually say and right <laughs> Like, don't you want to tell off this efficiency consultant that's drawing you into the into the uh, conference room to talk about what it is you really do and whether or not you provide value to the company? <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> um, right. So that's those are a few of the things that uh, that are upcoming. Uh, so they can go to learnlarp.com, and then if they want to get tickets to the September Imperial Magiscola event in Pittsburgh, that's at shop.learnlarp.com. Or if they want to check out tickets that just went on sale for the Magimundi Winter Holiday event in January, uh, that's in Ohio, right? That is. It's at Punderson Manor, which is about 45 minutes from Cleveland. Okay. And that is also, you can get that at shop.learnlarp.com. So. That is correct. Thank you so much, right, Maury. There's a Kickstarter right oh, now. And, yeah. and don't forget the Kickstarter. Absolutely. You can go to kickstarter.com and just you can look in their search thing for Magimundi Bestiary. Uh, and That's we'll correct. also we'll also share that link out. And Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So thank you so much for joining us, Maury. We really appreciate you taking your LARP to this transmedia space, <laughs> uh, bringing it to this blockbuster podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm t- I don't think I can be too, right? Like you just like used all the buzzwords. <laughs> Are you having bleed? <laughs> I'm going to have bleed now. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And I really appreciate it. No, it's, it's our pleasure. Really. We, yeah. we really like having you. So, all right, let's go to game wrap. Okay, welcome to Game Wrap. That was awesome. That was great. I, I think I think you have your first guest crush. I found my spirit animal. <laughs> you know what? I, I really want to say I love the fact that stuff that we've argued about on the air and off for years, and we've talked to all these people, and most of them have tended to agree with me, and that's fine. But Maury, who is perhaps the one who's that we've interviewed who studied this stuff the most, yeah. she agrees with you, and that's fascinating. I don't know what that tells us. It tells it, us something, though. It just says that if you if you study really hard, you you get Ryan's opinions. Well, I think so. <laughs> honestly, I think some of it is that our backgrounds are, are yeah. We, you know, we're both communications people, right? Those so those sort of things, uh, I think, carry certain mentalities. Okay, yeah, that's absolutely. There's something to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah see, yeah. it's game talk. It's game talk. Yeah, let's do game rap. You can read, you can find us online at honorrollpodcast.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all those places that you listen to the other stuff that you listen to. Mm-hmm. We're at Twitter at honorrollpodcast. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us uh, by email at hosts at honorrollpodcast.com. And of course, once again, you can go help keep the show on the air and get some free stuff in the process by going to patreon.com slash honorrollpodcast. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Did huh? I get it all? I think you did. You did. You're you the best at that. Yeah. Thanks. I'd like to give myself 10 XP. Ooh. Uh, oh. Because me and the guest were like awesome and stuff. That's true. <laughs> and, and, you know, you guys just get like five for attendance. Well, uh. I'm choosing using my agency to say that that's actually worth 100. <laughs> I'm having a lot of bleed. Now we have to. We have now we have to calibrate that XP and, and talk to one another and, and work it out. I don't think it was worth a hundred. No. Oh, oh boy. wait a minute. Oh. <laughs> hmm. 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 Good times. Good times. Good times. All right. Join us next week when our topic is Monopoly, the board game, and why it'd be a great LARP. It's called Vampire. We already played it. (laughs) Until next time, I'm the curmudgeon. I've been joined by Carrie the legend and, of course, Jason the favorite. And remember, the only way to win at a role-playing game is to have have fun. fun. expressed on the honor roll podcast belong to just those who are here on the podcast and nobody else all of the music is courtesy of kevin mcleod at incompetech.com